My name is Julie Kraft and I have bipolar 2 disorder. I'm Shaylee Hugendorn and I live with bipolar 2 disorder. I was diagnosed 10 years ago at the age of 36. I was told of my diagnosis and I remember being relieved but also terrified. I know um, the perceptions and the stigma that goes along with it. I started sharing my story about four or five years ago. I decided to come forward and start sharing. It's led to me meeting the most amazing people walking the same path. So we had talked about collaborating. My greatest hope is that others will hear our stories and feel less alone. We can offer insight and give the world a real life living example of what bipolar disorder can look like. This is bipolar. This is Bipolar. Hi everybody, welcome to another episode of This is Bipolar. I am Shaylee Hugendorn, I am a mother, I'm a teacher, I'm an event planner, I'm a vlogger, I write, and I'm a fierce advocate for uh, mental health. And I am so excited to be here. And I am Julie Kraft. I'm also a fierce mental health advocate, a wife, a mom. Um, I'm also an author and an artist. And so just like Shaylee, I'm passionate about sharing my bipolar journey um, with the world. And so we're thrilled to both be here and offer insight, share a little of our journeys, and hopefully offer encouragement to anyone else out there um, walking a similar path. So yes, yes. yes. Today, um, we are going to be talking about um, the weeks and year or uh, time after our diagnosis, starting with when we first heard the words. Um, if you haven't heard about um, previous all diagnosis stuff, all our other episodes are on all our socials and it can tell you all the leading up. And um, yeah, we are on the other side and um i was telling julie that this is this is a hard one for me because you think you're on the other side you only can go up and um that's not always the case no. but julie i would love to hear from you um about when you heard the words when you heard the words and knew and your reaction to that right okay so i actually heard the words Julie, you have bipolar two disorder. I was in uh, my general practitioner's office. So we're up here in Canada. So that is basically the doctor you would see um, for any, any issue you're having. And so I had seen her earlier. I had been to a psychiatrist for a full um, questioning, I'll call it. And so about two or three weeks later, I had an appointment back with my main doctor. And that was the day my husband was with me. I had been given a few clues that maybe this was what I was dealing with in my life. And so, yes, she delivered the news based on, um, you know, my visit with the psychiatrist and wow, a mix of emotions. Um, it's almost as if they sometimes say there are moments in your life that are definite um, defining moments where you will never sort of remember life as it was before. And so this was definitely one of those moments. Um, yeah, just so many thoughts and reactions, um, shock, disbelief, um, shame, you know, and how, how am I going to go forward in my life? Who am I going to tell? What does this mean for me? Um, what are others going to think of me? What do I think of myself? And so just a whirlwind of those emotions and yeah, it's been quite a journey since. Um, how about you, Shaylee? When or where were you? Was there a moment when you also were told, Shaylee, you yeah. have this disorder? Yes. So I, um, I was telling Julie that because my story is a little bit different in that I was on um, a medication that's actually not good for bipolar and they were taking slowly taking me off and slowly putting me um, on a on a medication that's actually um, for bipolar. Um, so you can imagine that there's a little bit of a mixed state going on. So I actually don't remember that the psychiatrist in what I affectionately call crazy town, which was the 
community residential, I don't know, st short stay, whatever. Um, but, and I was there for just, I think just under a week or a week. And so I remember her saying like mood disorder and, and things like that, but not actually saying the word. So what happens after that is you get here where I live, you get like put to a team in your area that's free. So there's a psychiatrist in your area. So you go there. So like Fraser Health or whatever. So I had the appointment there. I'm assuming a few weeks later, I, I, it's all fuzzy, but I went there and, um, you know, talked to him, told him what happened and, you know, told fill in all the things. Um, he, he didn't do the questionnaire, but did ask some questions. And then finally I was like, okay, so like, what do I call this? I mood disorder like what do I call this and um and yeah he said you know um we're pretty positive you have bipolar 2 disorder I didn't hear the two part and didn't figure that out till later but I I was in such a mixed state um I think I felt out of my body I felt like I was looking you know like looking at someone else and being like, like I was, I don't know if I was trying to separate or what I, but I actually do remember that it was almost an out of body experience. And I cannot remember if my husband was there. I, I was just gonna say, was your husband there? Or were you on your own? I, I think he came in for the first one. So maybe, I don't know. I should probably ask him, <laughs> but um, yeah, like you, but I remember, um, really feeling it in my body so my mind was racing but I was more overtaken by the feelings it like I couldn't describe it and I probably can't even think of it now but it was my I had a huge bodily reaction to this news yeah, so, yeah. were you nauseous or sick or just did you feel weighted down yeah so I felt well and more floating like floating, right. like it, I don't know if it was like protective or what, but I felt like I was almost removing myself and watching because I think I remember telling myself like, this is really important. Like you need to focus, which was, it, it was a time where I couldn't like, this is really important. You need to hear this. And then I almost like was floaty so that I could like hyper-focus on what he was saying and not be like, yeah right yeah. go off and off and off and spin so yeah. I, I do remember that and I don't remember um after afterwards just to remind you I had a almost three-year-old and an almost five-year-old so and this was in the summer um so I didn't really have I couldn't really like go to bed for like I had to keep going my husband took a little bit of time off and my mom was there but there wasn't the choice to really just you know what I mean like go to yeah. bed for a long time or or do other things I know that I really engaged I know I was quite numb in in some of the evenings but did yeah. you so do you remember if like the weeks afterward do you remember um when you came to acceptance or did you believe right away were you open did they say you should probably be on some sort of medication right what does that look like so right in that appointment we did discuss treatment options and i think i wasn't even there in my mind yet and you know i put myself in my husband's shoes i'm sure he was feeling absolute relief and hope for the future this was something that he he had wanted me to do for a very long time. He had given me an ultimatum to go and get help. So on his side must have been just incredible relief, but medication was brought up right away. Um, it wasn't really pushed on me, but it was, you know, I was told that it is definitely something that could help me. And so I think at that point I was open to it. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to be on medication, but I knew that bipolar is biological. I didn't realize it at the time, but you know, when you have a doctor there and a husband sort of looking at you, like you have this diagnosis now, 
please, you know, what are the steps that you'll be willing to take? So I did agree to go on a medication. I was very hesitant about it. There were some side effects that were mentioned and, you know, I just all of those feelings, I felt shame. I felt broken, you know, why would I need to be on medication, you know, to get me to a place of being normal? Um, was it going to take away my creativity? Would I, would it change who I was as a person? So all of those thoughts and just a quick side note about medication. I do get a lot of messages and questions about what specific medication that I'm on. And as much as I would love to help people, I do know that medication is so personal. Um, everyone is different. Um, some people might be on other medications. So I never actually divulge my personal medication that I'm on only because everybody's different. I wouldn't want anyone to, you know, maybe assume that because I'm on a medication that works for me, that it's going to work for them too. So always when it comes to medication, it's so personal based on so many different factors that that can really only be something that's decided upon with your own professional caregiver. So that aside, um, back to medication, I did start on that. Um, and, you know, a lot of times people will say, do you think it's working? Is it working? Does it make a huge difference? Does it make a little difference? And I have to admit, I've definitely had thoughts where, you know, I think I could go off it, I feel fine. Um, but my husband, I think that's where it's important to talk to the people around you. And he said, Oh, absolutely. I believe that it's working. And I think if I had to describe what specific way that I feel that it's working, I think before I didn't really have this sort of sense of when my behavior was really out of control or when I was going too far. And so I kind of think of my medication as an emergency braking system for my emotions. And so even though I still have the highs and lows, life isn't perfect, um, recovery or healing, whichever term people choose to use for living with bipolar, um, you know, it's not linear, definitely have ups and downs, but I do think medication for me um, brings down the highs, um, brings up the lows to a point where, you know, most of the time life, life is very much worth living, um, you know, and I still, I was worried about my creativity, my hypomania being completely squashed, and I'm happy to report I still have those bursts of creative energy. But as far as medication, um, and when I was open to that, and that those are my thoughts and experiences around medication. Yeah, yeah. Um, I didn't have hesitation only because like I already was on medication, I actively pursued um, getting better in, in various ways. And I felt, um, you know, pretty desperate. I was not um, in psychosis, but the doctors say if it would have been a couple more weeks because of that medication and wow. um, how little I was sleeping, that I, I would have probably not been able to function or not been, you know, be able to be you know, in regular um, reality. And so I didn't feel like myself. So I was convinced that this could help me feel more like myself. Um, and eventually it absolutely did. So I didn't, I wasn't, I almost was like, let's get on with it kind of thing because, but I had to go so ridiculously slow because I had to wean off the one and then the other one, you can only go up little bit by little bit. So um, there was that. So I think there was no room for me to doubt or to do uh, it. There was no room for that because I was so, um, desperate to feel better inside I needed my insides like to match my outside because my outside like you probably wouldn't know you absolutely wouldn't know because like I could you know function for so many hours I like kids and littles like under seven are like my thing so I poured everything into that and then they go to bed and then right? Yeah. So yeah. And then, but one of the things that did happen, so I'm slowly going and I'm like, 
with anxiety, you overthink and overanalyze everything. I couldn't figure out if it was working. So like you, um, checking in with somebody is really, really important because you need both. You need talking about how you feel because nobody knows your insides or in your head, but you also need other observations, right? right. And that helps you out. Um, I would always warn my husband, please, you know, be careful with your observations um, because like we've talked about before, I knew a lot of things and I find it much easier to share than hearing it from someone else, especially the hard parts or the negative parts, because then it kind of reinforces all of the berating that, that I do with myself. So I have little patience for, um, you know, even much feedback or used to, let's say used to. And um, yeah, just because you're already there in your head and then just solidifying that gave me permission to, you know, be harder on, right. on myself. So I don't know. The one thing about medications that um, I started to get, so this is into the fall and I started to really panic because the regular mid, mid November dip started yeah. and he, the psychiatrist, unfortunately our system is so, um, uh, backed up and packed and there's not a lot of psychiatrists once you're stable then you're just like supposed to go to counseling or find a therapist or whatever you can't actually keep going to this this place that I was going so I was starting to panic because I was being honest that I was doing that much better and they were slowly like well I don't know if you need to come and I'm like this is what got me in trouble in the first place. People don't follow for farther. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. I need you to see it all. And I need to know that the next stage or my next cycle is going to be seen and that the medication is going to work for both. Right. And so I felt myself starting to go down and I go in and I'm like, look, duh, 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 like I don't want to panic about this, but I'm feeling really panicky. I cannot go through another winter of depression. I just can't. I can't. I won't survive. Like I just, I, I just, I can't do this. And so they added a, a, um, another medication that combos. And um, honestly, I, I don't want to use the word miraculously, but that's the biggest thing for me. The other part works absolutely. Um, but adding that medication, I, except for like regular things that would make you really sad and you know, the January dark winter kind of blahs, I get a little bit, but I can honestly say since I started that medication, I have not been depressed. I've not been, um, I've not been depressed and I am so grateful for that. And that's a big thing that I experience with bipolar two is the really, really um, low lows. So that's kind of, um, you know, my experience for the right after with the medication. But I, what I wasn't used to when I was stabilizing is um, my, my um, cycles are really regular like I could count on them I knew when I would get depressed I knew I didn't do a lot of rapid cycling but during this time I did so that was really confusing to me I was used to like one or the other so being one and then the other all and I found that um exhausting and and really overwhelming um right. the months after but yeah and I think it's important too that you had mentioned that you know for you it's it's a combination of medications. And so for anyone out there that does decide to go that route, yep. that's how we say route, route up here in Canada. Um, and it's a very personal choice, um, you know, and some people choose to not do that. But for anyone that does, I think it is important to know that it's not always one medication that works for all. Sometimes you do have to be patient, try different ones. And also, as you had mentioned, you were previously on a medication that actually had adverse effects. And so doctors, as much as they would want to, they don't always get it right. I think you had made a very valid point before that, you know, general practitioners are not specifically maybe trained in mental health and mental health medications as extensively as a psychiatrist. So 
It's not always a smooth road. I wish desperately there was one pill and one dose that worked for everyone with bipolar, but um, to date, there is not. So anyone navigating that right now, just, you know, hang in there and be patient. It's so important to just keep that open communication with your doctor if you notice any changes. Yes, absolutely. I think the one of the biggest things for me during this period was um, was accepting and not um, accepting that this might be a lifelong thing being on medication and not spending a lot of time thinking, when will I get off this? Or yeah. is it going to be forever? Because for me, yeah, I find that in my experience with talking tons of people and, and sharing yeah. is that that can really trip us up, that we can be so focused on that, that we don't um, you know, can't fully engage with, with our healing journey because the goal is to get off the medication where the goal for me, I was just like to find health and wellness, to find balance, which I still don't know if it exists, but as balanced as works for me, which is very balanced that works for you and other people. But, um, you know, that would be, that's my greatest hope when people are are getting the help um my greatest hope is for them that you know they find something that works but also um have like an open mindset to just feeling better and not so much um you know not having to do this and I think the second thing was um and I think we're going to cover this on another episode but the second thing was I thought being on a healing journey mean, meant that I n- never had these kinds of thoughts again, or they wouldn't pop up, or like there was this imaginary, you know, what what I thought was normal, and that that was the end goal. And I think the other biggest thing for me was, um, you know, there's it's always going to be there, and I can either fight it or I can work with it. And as soon as um, you know, I decided that things became so much easier and a little bit, a little bit clearer, but yeah. yeah. Um, question for you. Um, we talked about this a little bit, but, you know, did you tell people around you and who were you the most nervous to tell? And if you're willing, why? Right. Okay. So heading home from the doctor the day I was diagnosed, um, just, yes, a flurry of thoughts, but I did go home and did something I probably shouldn't have done on day one. I Googled bipolar disorder and the images that popped up on my computer were terrifying, horrifying. I think all I was needing to find was one person that seemed to be living a happy, fulfilling life, um, one person that seemed to be normal. And it was it was terrible. It was images of cartoons with spinning heads or, you know, these bi memes, I mean, bipolar memes, um, you know, just I'm a bipolar bear. And it's funny because, well, it's not funny, but some people I think humor is their way of processing things. But for me, in my mind, I, I knew bipolar disorder existed. I had the images, you know, that I had seen in the media, um, certain celebrities sort of running off the rails and interviews, but now suddenly all of those stereotypes, all of those negative images were directly related to me. And I just, I just remember thinking, is this my identity for the rest of my life? And if I come forward and share this with anyone in my inner circle, in my outer circle, um, I just felt like that was how they were going to view me and that I had almost been slapped with this warning label or, you know, yeah. so I had all of those feelings. And then I think I self-stigmatized as well. Yep. I started to believe that I was not an equal partner with my husband. And, you know, I started to think, are people going to feel sorry for him? Are people going to send their kids over to my house for play dates? Um, I just felt very insecure. I was convinced that I would need to keep my diagnosis under wraps for the rest of my life. And I'm 
I would like to think I'm a fairly good actress. You know, up until my diagnosis, I did a great job of just slapping on a huge smile. So I figured, really, I don't really think that I need to divulge this to anyone. So my husband knew um, at the time, it was the spring of 2010. So my daughters were 12, nine and three, didn't feel the need to tell them, which is another question I get, you know, when is the right time and how do you speak to kids about your bipolar diagnosis? So kept that from them. And I think there were two very, very close friends that I told. And other than that, my in-laws were in the dark. Um, and I would have to say if I had to pick the person that I was most terrified to share this with, um, it was my, my mom and my dad. And I think looking back, I didn't want to in any way disappoint them. Um, I was just really nervous of how they would see this and um, would they somehow feel guilty for not seeing any warning signs or deem themselves unfit, um, you know, parents for not helping me in my darkest hours. And so, yes, it was eventually going to be very difficult to tell everyone in my life, but my parents, I was most nervous. And then also my in-laws, just for those same reasons, were they going to judge me as a partner to their son? Um, you know, would I embarrass the family? All of those thoughts. So it did take me quite a while to get to a point. They now, I'm an open book, quite literally. Um, <laughs> the whole world knows my story, but it definitely was a journey to get to that point. And when I did get to that point, those were the people in my life um, that I found the hardest to open up to. How about you? Um, yeah, so my mom knew right away because my husband had called her to come and help with the kids when I was away and which, yeah, I had my mom and I are very, very close. She's also a nurse. So she had always like known all my medical things. She had no idea about this, but, um, I was her first child. I was the only girl, maybe, you know, she didn't know is this normal behavior, that kind of thing. Right. And, but um, I actually refused to talk to my dad and, oh, I, I feel like it must have hurt him very badly, but um, my dad is the type of, you know, a guy that's like, pull up your bootstraps or just keep going, or you can do this and not, um, he thinks that that's very helpful and that's what works for him, um, you know, if he's feeling hard emotions, but I just, I knew that I couldn't handle um, just that, uh, that approach. I knew that I couldn't handle someone saying, to, like, I felt like it would um, diminish this huge um, traumatic event that just happened. And I, you know, same thing. I don't think, I, I knew I wouldn't disappoint him. I just felt like, he wouldn't understand and he's like me we have we call it foot in the mouth disorder where we don't think before we speak and I was just a I didn't want to be upset with him if he said the wrong thing right. and I needed him to to think about it and when you don't see it and like I'm not living with them I'm I'm been on my own for a very long time you know they might not see it and I didn't I had so many thoughts going around in my head I didn't need anything added to it like no this can't be true or it'll be better next week I just I couldn't deal right so I didn't talk to him for a while um and I we very much said mood disorder but I was talking um with my husband the other day thinking about this episode and one of the really um different things that I forgot about that um he reminded me of was I was really conflicted with not wanting people to know and then desperately wanting people to know. So uh, I didn't want people to know for all those things, all those things you spoke about and now even understanding the self stigma even more, which I'm sure we'll dive into yeah. um, another time. But I, and same, I didn't want to be put in a box. I very much loved that I was like, different but I didn't want to be that kind of different <laughs> and, yeah yeah you know um and 
yeah, I just didn't want to be lumped into a, a, a group. I didn't want there to be a lens that that's what people saw first, all those things that you were describing. But then I also, uh, I'm a very, very honest and authentic and show up as I am kind of person. And I value that so much in relationship and in people that um, I didn't, I also didn't want to be a fake. And I didn't know, I don't know how to not show how I'm feeling, right? Like I, I'm a mediocre actress, probably around people like a lit, like circle outside the circle. Yes. But in the circle, not so much. And uh, yeah, I, I didn't know how to do that. I remember I wrote like a post and then, you know, didn't, didn't post it. I knew that people I had, I was going to church. In fact, I was, as we told before, I was leading all the things and had a, you know, a mom's group and, and that kind of thing. And so I also had a small group of women that we met all the time, like they knew, right. Mm -hmm. And they were like bringing meals and doing certain things. So they knew, but didn't really know, right. Didn't know if it was just like this little nervous breakdown and better or, or, yeah. or whatever. And so this, just there was this real battle inside me to um, not tell or just this battle to want to be understood and want just acknowledgement of the trauma and just kind of like you were saying about um, finding someone that was you know was bipolar and was doing okay and living a full life I think that um, I I needed that as well. And I think that's a lot of reasons why I'm here right now talking with you. Yeah. And I just didn't know if I believed I could flourish with the, with the diagnosis. So I, I did use mood disorder and I did um, tell some safe people. I have some friends that, um, you know, I knew a friend that recovered from an eating disorder and I had a couple of friends that were very open about their depression. So I felt like there was a trust there. Um, but yeah, I, so I, I think I was open with, uh, I'm an extreme extrovert. So you can imagine my circles, like they're very, very, very large. So if I, you know, if I counted how many people I told, it would seem like a lot of people, but really <laughs> with the grand scheme of how many people I interact with and groups and this and that, um, it would, you know, the percentage would not be um, uh, that many. So that was a, that was a real, real struggle for me. So I know you have a story about how, that's very different from mine about how you told people. Yeah, and you touched on so many good points. I just wanna go back to number yeah. one. I know some people in my life now that they have found out, I think they have been hurt, you know, I would have been there for you. Why didn't you share with me? And oh, I think it's just so important for them to understand it. It was not a reflection that I didn't trust you. It was more about, you know, I think yeah. even trying to process our diagnosis, looking back, it's taken me years. And in some ways, I still feel like I'm on this journey of acceptance, you know, and then every now and then I'll have someone throw out a comment that's very offensive and it'll take me back to, oh, or I'll have that thought, you know, after coming forward with my journey, which I'll say exactly how I did it. Mm. I do know now that a Google search for all time is going to come up with my name and bipolar disorder. And I have had that, those moments of panic, like there's no going back. And do I really want that the world to know that part of me? And then I remind myself of why I started advocating so Backing up, um, I was diagnosed in the spring of 2010. And then shortly after that, our family, um, as a result of my husband's work, we were given the opportunity to move abroad to Germany, a country that will always have a place in my heart. And I really do think that that was um, in that season for a very specific purpose. Um, I think God knows exactly what he's doing. Um, so I was able to basically press pause on my life back here in Vancouver, BC and move abroad. And I think that really was just a chance for me to rest, wrap my brain around my diagnosis. But part of setting up my life over there in Europe was um, getting life insurance. And so 
I remember um, with being with a, um, an insurance agent and a bunch of questions. And then he left me with another questionnaire. And one of the questions, although my German to this day is not very good, um, was <laughs> psyche. And I knew, I knew the question was about mental health or psychiatric this or that. And so I just clicked no, you know, I ticked off. No, I don't have a mental health disorder. <laughs> terrible, terrible. So anyways, of course, my conscience caught up with me later that night. And so I did write him an email, very inappropriate, nervous email. And I just said, um, I just want to let you know that I may or may not have bipolar disorder. I may or may not be on a medication that's used to treat it. I mean, oh my goodness. I just was just all over the map in that email. And I said, I'm not sure if that affects my coverage, um, but I just thought I might let you know. And of course he called me right away. And that phone call was very tough for me. And he said, it does affect your coverage. You're no longer eligible. And it's because people like you are the ones um, that drive into brick walls at full speed. No. Yeah, he, he said, said it. Not. Oh yes, he did. Oh, and um, I think that was like the biggest gut punch, gut punch of um, my life. I immediately just was crushed because I thought here are my biggest fears about how people would perceive me. Here's this stranger. I just had to divulge like this big, deep, dark secret. And this is the reaction I get. And so um, I started to cry. Thank goodness I was on the phone. And um, I just, I tried to explain to him that, you know, that's not everyone with bipolar. Unfortunately, that can happen. Um, but just that the spectrum is so vast. And, you know, I felt like I was trying to defend myself as a mom, as a person, as a human being, you know, in the universe. And looking back now, I don't fault him. I think that comment was just a result of the stereotype and the stigma that existed at that time. And back in 2010, there weren't all these mental health initiatives. I didn't know that there were mental health advocates. I couldn't find any in my Google searches. So I think we've come so far since then, but I think that definitely planted a seed. I was, you know, angry, devastated, sad in that moment. And I just remember thinking, this is not right. This is, this is so inaccurate. And then the other defining moment was um, on social media and a friend of mine, not a close friend, but someone from high school put up a post something to the effect of why does my 11 year old daughter act so bipolar? Yeah. And, you know, once again, I was in my kitchen and I just started crying because I thought, oh my goodness, here, here it is again. And this is me. This is my diagnosis. So, you know, you internalize all of that. And I just started to read the comments. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me about it. My kid too. So moody out of control. And I think the insurance agents comments um, and that, and that really was what propelled me to say enough. I can either hold my diagnosis a secret for the rest of my life, you know, but I also knew that if I did that, I wouldn't be able to change any of those stereotypes. And I just decided in that moment, I need to do whatever I can um, to put another face of bipolar into the world. And so if that means me putting my pride aside, which I felt I needed to do, now I know there's nothing more amazing than seeing someone be so vulnerable and authentic and share, you know, their story. But in that moment, I, you know, was, it wasn't easy to do, but I thought if I can do that, if I can get to the point and share with the world, then there is the chance. And if I can change the perception of this disorder in even one person's mind by giving them a real life living example, then I'm going to do it. And so Am I going to share how I did it yet or just what got me to that point? I feel like I've been rambling, but. Oh, you're on a roll. Tell us. Okay. So I'm a creative cat. I've always loved photography and videos. So while my kids were away at school, um, being in Germany, I didn't have <laughs> much to do without a work permit. So, um, and I didn't have access to a film crew. So I got very creative, got an ironing board, stack of books. And I just sat down in front of um, my camera and I started to just share. Now, 
not very technical though. I, you know, not very talented in that department. So of course I would film two hours of footage and be so proud of myself only to realize that I hadn't focused to the camera or hadn't pressed the record button. So it took me months um, to work on, but I filmed my story and edited, edited it in um, iMovie. I taught myself and I just put together my journey 14 minutes long. Um, I finished it, but I wasn't at the point where I was ready to share it. And I also started to journal and write what would eventually become my memoir, even though I didn't know it at the time, which is, I think, all part of the plan. So anyways, I finished my video and then I just knew I needed to put it out into the world. And so I put it up on YouTube and then I shared it on Facebook. And believe it or not, go big or go home. I live you know, full volume, full throttle, full color. That is how I told 99.9% .9 of the people in my life, close friends, family, and people that I had never met before. And I just, I think being halfway around the world made it a bit easier. Um, being behind the computer screen versus face to face with someone um, made it easier, not having to sit there and see everyone's reaction. So that is how I did it. Um, you know, I had shared with a few close people in my life and I just need to give a shout out to them. They know exactly who they are. And I think each of them reacted, or I guess I should say didn't react, which was the best thing. You know, they just basically said, um, thank you for telling me that, but it doesn't change how I view you at all. No. And those people gave me the strength to eventually come forward to the whole world. So a huge shout out to them. And then, yes, I posted it on Facebook, YouTube, and I felt like I wanted to throw up in that moment because I, you know, my husband even said, you're going to get the haters, just be prepared for it. Some people will be positive, but others will be negative. Yeah. And so I posted it and just sat there shaking, um, you know, waiting for the notifications and the comments. And I was absolutely blown away. 99.999% of people were amazing and loving and affirming and accepting and compassionate and empathetic. And then I would start getting the private messages from people saying, um, me too. Yeah. I've known you for 10 years and I also have this diagnosis. And, you know, I had no idea. And they said, I've been looking at you from afar um, thinking you had your life together and, you know, vice versa. I would have never guessed that they were also struggling. And so Brene Brown, I love her. She has a quote, vulnerability breeds vulnerability. And so the acceptance and love from people and even people from the church. So I'm a pastor's kid, um, church every Sunday. And so, you know, I was very fearful of what my fellow Christians would think and would they judge me or my faith and, you know, why wasn't she reading her Bible more? And so everyone just straight across the board, it was just love, 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 and then finding out that I wasn't alone. And so as terrifying as it was, um, it's probably one of the best things I've ever done in my life. I don't regret it. Um, for the 0.1% of people that were a little bit insensitive, I don't fault them for it. I think sometimes people just don't understand or they want to say the right thing and they say the wrong thing. So we just need to be kind with each other. But that is actually how I told the world my diagnosis. Now, that's the way I did it. I know that's not the way everyone chooses to share when they choose to share, if they choose to share. So Shaylee, when and where and why were there those defining moments? Um, tell us how you got to this place, starting with sharing it with those very first few yeah. people to being on this vlog slash podcast. Yeah. Okay. So do you have two hours? I do. I do have two hours. <laughs> That's why we had, we're going to have different episodes. Um, yeah. I struggle. I need to be honest right now because Please be honest. <laughs> I really struggle with even hearing that. I'm so like so happy for you and grateful for you. Aww. And I love the way like that I you know I'm almost jealous that you were far away and being able to have that because I was not and I still um continued a lot of my activities and so saw the same people. 
um, I didn't feel the same way in terms of, uh, but I didn't do a big thing <laughs> until later. Um, so a lot of the comments, like you said, that are well-meaning really, really hurt. And um, one of the things that my mind does is, uh, and actually it's like all minds do it in a certain way, but it's too extreme with, with different mental health disorders and you remember the negative. So I can get like 10 compliments and I hear one thing and it destroyed, used to destroy me. And so the comments like, no, I would have never known, but you have, you look like you have it so together would yeah. crush me because I would be like, so now you've taken away everything that I ever was. And all you see me as is this, right? Yeah. Um, there, I was heavily involved um, in my church too. And that was um, another group, people group that I did not want to tell, except for the few that I was close to. And because I, these are my thoughts, okay? Uh, are people going to take away my children? Same with you. Are the people going to let, you know, let them hang out with my children? Are, am I going to still be able to be in leadership? Because I did all the things. Are people going to, am I, like, I would go as far as, am I going to be excommunicated? P.S. The churches, they, they don't excommunicate. <laughs> it's not even a thing. Yeah. And so um, I was very nervous about that. And I, the people that I did tell, I had some loving responses. Um, I did get, um, and it's because of lack of knowledge and things like that. And I don't, I'm not attacking, but I need to be honest. Yeah. There was a lot of platitudes and comments that are just completely unnecessary. And without meaning to, there's no excuse anymore. They're unkind, right? Like to it's unkind to not hear someone. It's unkind not to hold their story uh, gently, especially if they've come forward. And I just, uh, I couldn't see at the time the well-meaning part because the other things cut so deep. And just, it really, it strengthened my faith, but also it rocked my faith because I was like, well, a lot of these people represent faith for me. A lot of these, you know, people, um, even I go so much to say is represent an idea of, of God to me. And yeah. they're telling me in their own way that I'm not good enough in terms of, you know, quoting Bible verses, telling me that their cousin was depressed and wrote out uh, Bible verses for a year and or miraculously healed or I'd go like what, later on there'd be events and still to this day a lot of events focus around healing stories and also you can find those pretty easily online and I felt completely ostracized from those types of stories and I felt like um well what's wrong with me yeah well uh, you know, I'm so now I'm not only a failure as like a human being with all the stigma, I'm actually a, a failure, my faith, right? I, I do I even have it if people are saying that faith is versus fear, etc. Um, that rocked the a, a real core part of me and I struggled, but yet it also strengthened my faith because I knew I knew that wasn't God. And I know, and I was able to really experience more, um, you know, love and be open uh, to more of that. And I, I needed to believe, I needed to believe that there was uh, a higher power out there because otherwise um, I just didn't think that like looking out for me, I just didn't think that I could do it on my own. And so um, that part was really, really hard for me. And I, yeah. <laughs> further episode, things not to say, right? So <laughs> yeah, really hard. And I think people think that they're being encouraging, but honestly, it's uncomfortable, but sitting people, sitting with people in their pain um, is so much more beautiful and helpful than, I'd rather you say nothing and sit beside me than say something, you know, that, because I then I feel pressure 
to tell you the next time that I'm feeling better. I feel pressure to tell you that your essential oils that you lent me healed me, Uh, you know, and then saying that it didn't adds on that extra failure. Right. And so I just didn't need any expectations and things like that. And not that there weren't awesome, especially I really surrounded myself and made like a cocoon of people that understood. So the people that I know had truly struggled with, with these things. And so, um, but I didn't know anybody that had the same diagnosis. So I always felt a little different, but yeah, there was that. And just to add on to that, because it kind of goes, I wanted to to just tell a story because I think yeah. that sometimes people relate to, you know, you can relate to anxiety and depression because people get stress and people get sad. And I think, unfortunately, we use those words interchangeably. And I think that that makes it so much harder to understand. Like if I said, hey, I have diabetes or I have cancer, you would believe me. Yeah, because you wouldn't be comparing like, oh, I had that before. And I, you know, prayed my way out of it, or I essential oiled my way out of that. I like them. They smell good. Yeah. (laughs) I don't believe in full healing powers. Um, And so I think, um, yeah, I just lost my train of thought. Oh, I know. Uh, (laughs) So one of the things um, shortly after is... um, yeah, I would, I would really struggle in church because I was like, do I even belong here anymore? You know, those kinds of things. But I just felt like I needed some, I needed to keep up routine. So, so I would go. And I remember um, when you feel things so deeply, a lot of uh, arts and music really affect you, right? Like they are just like either the most beautiful thing or make you feel the saddest. And I really, music and singing, um, I've approximately zero talent I'm told that perhaps I have a rock star personality but again zero (laughs) talent and so I love singing in large groups because I cannot hear myself in the shower (laughs) the shower sound awesome in the shower um and so there is this song and it repeats over and over and over again um it's really beautiful but it says he will come and save you and in the fragile state I was, I was like, will he? Or, oh, okay, so other people have been saved. And I know it didn't have to do with my exact um, situation, but I, all I could think about is like, I'm not, am I, I'm not good enough. Um, I'm forgotten about because I'm, I'm not saved. Uh, I have to live with this for the rest of my life. I'm, and I just, I started crying and, you know, I know that lots of churches are working towards this, but it should be the place where a lot of people are bawling and broken and a mess. And I, but I didn't feel like that. And I went to a very big, used to go to a very big church. And so I needed to get out of there because I couldn't stop it with a couple dabs. It was just pouring out of me. And I think like my body just needed a release. And I went to our car. And I just said, give me a few minutes. I didn't want Rob to bring like the kids and you know, that kind of thing. But then eventually, and I was just like, stay, I'll hang out in the car. And I couldn't stop. And it wasn't even like a, (gasps) it was just leaking. Like I couldn't stop. And in fact, it lasted for like a lot of the day. And I would be like doing the things like making dinner, but I couldn't stop. And I remember that. And I think that that shows like just the depth of, feeling right where this isn't something that is easily controlled right like I can tell myself everything's okay but a lot of times especially pre-medication I can't stop my nervous system or how my brain tells me what is danger and what isn't Uh, I can only deal with it when it's happening I actually cannot physically um, stop it in the moment. Right. And yeah, yeah, I just remember that. And I just remember it was devastating. And I, I don't, I, I've, I cry a lot, but I don't remember another time where I was just like leaking. I was just mourning. And I think it had all hit me then. Yeah. 
Yeah. Was there a moment where you thought, I want to come forward, I need to come forward? Was there a moment where you were like, I'm ready to share? Because I think also no pressure to anyone else out there. I mean, I have felt the benefits of coming forward and it hasn't been all roses, but I just see how it's helped me. And so out of that excitement, I, you know, I think want others to experience that same acceptance, but I know for some people it could mean just opening up to one person and letting them into their world. Um, Or, you know, for me, it was a video. Um, I think for you, many times it was, it was on a stage, but um, like, I just felt this strong passion for advocacy. And I wonder if there was a defining moment where you just said, mm-hmm. I see the value in sharing my story, um, whether it's to help others or help myself, because, you know, from that moment in the car, um, weeping to now, um, you know, what has gotten you to this place? Yeah. So I think from the, cause you know, it was very different from us is that it, I didn't, you know, think that I was going to ever not tell people, right? And I think because I was seeing them in everyday life, uh, I was telling people and I felt absolute freedom in a lot of it, right? And I have to remind myself because those negative ones just stick out. Um, But I remember a friend that also struggles saying to me, you don't owe everyone your story. Find your safe people, especially right afterwards. Like we're talking like our diagnoses were like 10 years ago, right? And so that's to me, slowly telling people that I trust and building on those positive experiences got to me to where I am. And my personality, like I don't expect, you know, that everyone will want to be on a stage or like that kind of thing. But, um, you know, small group events, I talked about certain things in certain ways, depending on the audience, how safe I felt, right? Whether I'd say mood disorder, depression, anxiety, I would change my language um, and tell the depth of it to how I felt people like read the room, right? I would try to do Yeah. And I think, um, yeah, I had told so many people and then I uh, finally shared at a larger event. It was a women's event and it's with, um, you know, uh, an organization that I work for and with um, called She Loves Magazine. And it's just a group, a global group of women online. And there's a bunch of us locally that just support and lift up each other and give each other, you know, resources and, and help each other find our voice. And I knew that I had throngs of women behind me holding me up during that time. And of course, like you go big or go home. I not only was I speaking at this event, I was like planning and out for like four hours before in the decor as well as speaking. So I didn't. And that actually helped me, which it wouldn't for a lot of people, they need to think about it, go to a quiet place, read it over and over that kind of thing. I knew that I needed to not think about it and just do it. And I knew then it would come from the heart. Yes, I'd written stuff down, but I knew that if I had to sit by the time it came, I probably wouldn't have, you know, might not have yeah. done. And so there was about, I don't know, 80 people in the room or whatever. And the amount of people um, that came up or even a lot of our events, um, we have give space for audience to interact or respond and um yeah women responded and right away there was someone that was like me too even in that room and I just find that there are so many so many of us we just don't know right yeah I absolutely the freedom freedom the way like see how you experience are you an introvert are you an extrovert but uh, you know find safe people you yeah. need to feel safe because otherwise it's not, it, it, it needs to be a win, right? Like yeah. it needs to be so that you can build onto that. And you might be, you know, not everybody's going to have a podcast, et cetera, et cetera. But I think what Julie's trying to express is that she just wants that freedom for everyone. Yeah. And, she knows how and I, works. yeah. And I do tell people, you know, only tell your story if you're ready 
when you're ready, there are a million different ways to tell it. You know, a lot of people, I just say, you know, you could submit writing or blog posts, um, you could start an Instagram account, but um, you also made a very great point. Not everyone is meant to hear your story and not everyone I've now learned is meant to stay. And I think for some people, they might be in the midst of their own struggles and just not able to show up for me in the way that I might expect them or want them to. Sharing my journey has allowed me to share now with my friends, you know, how I'm wired. I have apologized to some people, you know, for unreturned phone calls and texts to say it was nothing personal. I was just completely overwhelmed with just getting out of bed in the morning. And so it's allowed me to experience more authentic relationships the yeah. pressure is off me to wear that mask in some ways it keeps me accountable to others because I've shared my journey and so now if I do go quiet or dark for a while I do have a few friends that it's not it's not um you know crazy they'll just throw me a text and just say you okay and it just shows me that they care and you know I think I've been able to also now, my children, all of them, they know that mom has bipolar. Um, the two older ones, I think have read my book, at least the older one. And I've been able to also, you know, share with them why mom had such a hard time with play dates. Just all of those things. And then of course the messages from people, you know, just saying um, that how encouraged they've been from hearing my story. That makes it all worthwhile for me. It's sort of, puts purpose behind my pain. I know we hear that expression, but um, so it's out of experiencing all those things that I just wanna share with others that if you do decide to come forward, um, yes, it's not gonna be absolutely perfect with amazing fireworks, but you will experience without a doubt, I think some of those things and it's really helped me to move forward and just accept, accept that I have bipolar disorder. I'm not broken. I believe that I've been created and wired this way for a purpose with intention. And, you know, so it's helped me to get to a place now of accepting it. If you are thinking of coming forward, those are some of the things for me that have um, made it all worth it. Yeah. And I do want to mention, cause now, I mean, anxiety, I'm all freaking out that now I've made all churches and people sound awful. No, you haven't. Now, you know, people aren't representative of, you know, God or love or like, yeah. I can't, I, I can't do that. And so, um, yeah, I don't harbor ill will. And, you know, I, I go to a church that is, um, yeah, that talks about mental health. Oh, yeah, wow. it's amazing. I see the tide turning in Sanctuary Ministries. They're um, a nonprofit organization here in town, and they actually have developed an entire curriculum around mental health um, for churches because I just think it's not something we used to talk about. And, you know, I think even pastors are opening up. And, you know, just because you have a faith doesn't mean life is perfect or you don't struggle. Bipolar disorder, it's biological. It's not a spiritual issue. And taking medication for it, if that's what someone chooses to do, is no different than, um, you know, insulin or an EpiPen, or, you know, if someone were to show up at church wearing a cast for a broken arm, I hope that they wouldn't be judged you know, and thought of as being, you know, weak in their faith. And so I just see it moving more and more in a positive direction. And the more people that open up, um, you know, the safer we all feel. So I, I'm just so positive about the strides that I see, you know, not only in the world, but, you know, within faith communities, all faith communities. Yeah. So, and I think yeah. bouncing off of that, one thing that was really powerful for me is that, there um, in this small church that I go to when um, I was going to speak and, and other people we were doing a series and I remember that a couple times he's apologized and he oh. it was like he said you know historically church has not dealt with this well and I am sorry and I wouldn't have thought that that would have been but that was so healing to me yeah and so I would love to say that if you are out there and you have been hurt by church or faith community, 
I'm sorry. I'm sorry that, that you were hurt and I'm sorry if things were said or done and if you were ever made to feel um, less than or less faithful or unloved, I am sorry and you are loved absolutely 100% no matter where you are. So I just wanted to say that because when someone said that to me, it made all the difference because I know we've been talking about a lot of faith things and I know a lot of our listeners, you know, a lot of people I've talked to, this has been a big thing. And um, yeah, and if you're someone, you know, that doesn't share the same beliefs, absolutely, you the biggest thing, Julie, and I want you to know is that you are loved. There are people like you. You are not alone. And that there is freedom in telling um, even just one safe person. And uh, you don't owe everyone your story, but I really think that you deserve to be understood and your story needs to be held carefully by at least one other person. And so I think our greatest hope, our greatest prayer is that um, you can find that person, you can reach out for help and just know that we may not know your name, we may not know your full story, but we hold that space. We hope that this is a space where you feel safe and, um, and loved. And so I don't know if you wanted to share anything else, Julie, but I just, um, just, just if there's anyone else out there listening that has also just heard those words, you know, you have bipolar, bipolar one, bipolar two, um, just, I would just want to encourage you. Um, I've had all of the same feelings. If you're feeling any of the feelings I had that I shared earlier, um, know that you're not alone. Um, you don't have to make acceptance with this overnight. It's a lot to take in. I did, I actually chose not to go home and actually, you know, and research anything about my disorder. And it was four years until I decided to post my video. And so if anything, I would just say, um, your diagnosis is an answer and a reason it's a starting point to getting well. It doesn't define you. It doesn't doom you. Yeah. And I just want to encourage you that if you do ever get to a place of, you know, wanting to share, um, just to know that it'll be okay. You won't have everyone that'll, you know, gather around you, but I guarantee you that you will be blown away by the people that do surround you and the freedom that comes with just being able to share that with someone else. So just a huge word of encouragement. And it is absolutely possible to live a, um, you know, fulfilling, full, colorful, full volume life and also have bipolar two disorder. And so, you know, that's why I'm out here sharing. I want to hopefully offer insight or help to anyone out there, but just know that both Shaylee and I had those first days and those first first moments of being diagnosed and so actually anything that you're feeling right now is valid it's understood by us and um it's going to be okay yeah. <laughs> and my pom-poms are waving wildly for you wherever you're at in your journey and just know that there are millions of other amazing, amazing, vibrant, creative people that also share the same diagnosis and you're in very great company. You are, you are, that's beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. So we will um, see you next time. Yes, thank you for tuning in. This is Bipolar. This is Bipolar. Mm -hmm.